The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hello, guys, and welcome to the Round Peg Square Holes podcast. I'm joined today by Rob Moore. So we're streaming on Rob's pages and, of course, our F10X Academy group. The subject of the talk today will be how to build an online global business with little to no overhead. Rob, I met a few years ago. Rob is an entrepreneur and investor, author of six Amazon bestsellers, prolific podcaster, two-time public speaking world record holder, and founder of the Rob Moore Foundation. Rob, great to have you here, mate. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you for having me on your show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For anyone in Dubai who hasn't, they've probably read your books, but if they haven't met you or listened to some of your podcasts, could you give us a little bit of a background on who Rob Moore is? Sure. So I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I started my first business, I suppose, with my dad when I was six um, because he got me um, bottling up in the pub and counting the um, coins in the fruit machines and the pool tables. Um, He got me um, checking the take from the night before and got me doing the maths really early. I could always count really quick in my head, even at sort of age six. And my dad was very much an entrepreneur, pubs, clubs, um, hotels, um, made a lot, lost a lot, made a lot, lost a lot, as many entrepreneurs do. Um, but then I kind of got stuck in the school system. Nothing wrong with the school system. It just wasn't for me. I don't think it cultivates entrepreneurs as much as it does people who might be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant. But that's just not me. That's just not who I am. And um, what is it you say? Square pegs, round holes. <laughs> I was a square peg in the round <laughs> hole of the schooling system. Um, but uh, when I was um, aged 25 uh, years and 11 months, my life had got away from me. I got myself into a lot of debt, about 50 grand um, sterling. Um, I, I was just working in my dad's pub, just getting by and making ends meet. I wasn't doing anything that excited me or made me feel alive. Um, and, and that was probably seven or eight years in the in the making of that. Uh, and um, my dad had a, a massive nervous breakdown in his pub. Um, he had one o'clock in on a Sunday lunchtime, the busiest um, day of the hour of the week. And he just completely lost it and got quite aggressive. And like it was like he was possessed. And um, I managed to get him out the front of the pub. But um uh, two police vans pulled up. All the customers were watching. My mum and my sister were out on the front lawn. It was freezing in December. And they they beat him up and beat him to, well, They you could argue they were defending themselves. I thought they were quite aggressive, but um, it, he was sectioned. And, uh, yeah, he was diagnosed with bipolar. And I was one month away from being 26. And I sort of saw in that moment and the week after of self-reflection and beating myself up and self-loathing that actually I was wasting my life. I had this entrepreneurial spirit within me that my, um, you know, my dad had instilled in me. But I just let go of my life and taken the wrong path, if you like. Mm. Um, so I woke up and from then on, I got into property with my business partner. We now have 
750, 800 properties that we own, own, co-own and manage. We're developing about 150 units right now with another 60. So that'll be 210 rental units that we'll have come onto the market next year. I became a millionaire before the age of 31. And um, so that was within four years of being 50 grand in debt. I've now written 18 books with three. I'm um, in the process of writing. Like you said, I've got two world records for um, longest public speeches. I have the UK's largest property training company, um, Progressive Property. Um, my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, is one of the top listened to podcasts in the UK in, in business. My social media following is pretty prolific. Um, I probably put three, three pieces of content out per day per platform. I'm probably interviewed on shows like yours maybe 10, 15 times a week on average. I'm a dad of two kids and can fly the helicopter, although a bit rusty at the moment. <laughs> um, and I, I just love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love mentoring people. I love hanging around with really successful people. I, I love figuring out meaningful problems in the world and then turning that into a an opportunity. Mm. Um and it's a it's, privilege to be on your show. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And you, you may have been on you may be on 14 shows like this, but you'll only be on this one, you know, once. <laughs> so <laughs> well, you might have me back if it goes well. Oh, maybe. Well, it depends how it goes, you know. We have to we'll talk afterwards. Um so uh, I mean you mentioned your personal story, it was obviously uh, you know a touching personal story. Um when you when you look back at your personal story and what you saw your dad as a business owner go through. How much did that influence the way in which you ran your business and how much did it influence the kind of decisions you make in the way you structure your business? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I don't think what happened to my dad really affects how I run my business or the strategies and tactics in business. Because actually my dad was of the work really hard, do everything yourself, don't rely on staff, you know, don't rely on others. He was the sort of the old school, because he's, what, 76 now, the old school Northern English way. Whereas my business philosophy is very different. I want to build a big team. I love outsourcing and leveraging. I love having people around me who are better than me at the, their jobs and sometimes even my jobs. I want a global scale, not, not local restriction. So strategically, as an entrepreneur, I almost do the opposite to my dad. But what Im influences me still to this day and always will is the emotional um, and, and the motivation to be a successful person and a good son. Um, that, that I think about that on nearly a daily basis. You know, there's been quite a lot of news, hasn't there, this week of people who've passed away. Maradona at 60, um, a, 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 a Diop, a footballer at 42. Well, I'm 41 and my dad's 76. So I would say every day I try and breathe in the gratitude that I still have my dad here and, you know, use my life and uh, uh, to motivate myself to do good in the world and raise a lot of money from my foundation and make sure I get to the end of every day and think, was I valuable? Did I help people? Did I serve my staff? Did I serve my community? Did I do the best I could? Did I waste any time? Um, one of the great gifts of um, what happened to my dad and then getting into property was, um, it really motivated me to want to be a successful person. And I think if you're a successful person, um, you can make good money along the way. And um, I bought my dad a brand new Mercedes. I gave him a house. 
I took him up in the helicopter on his 65th birthday. He wanted to be a pilot. He didn't quite make the grade. Um, and I'll, I'll treasure those moments forever, like way more than my first million or my fifth million or my 10th million or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, but, I, but strategically as an entrepreneur, I do the opposite to my dad because I'm a different generation. Mm. Yeah. My, but one of the reasons my dad got bipolar is because he worked so fucking hard and he put himself yeah. almost dug his own grave of how hard he worked. Yeah. So, so maybe the kind of the, kind of the, the influence that, that that kind of moment gave you was avoiding going through that yourself. And and even, you know, that means building a team, outsourcing and, and doing things in a very different way. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you're quite inspired by Steve Jobs and his story. Well, actually, he got a lot of his best ideas on long walks and mm. um, he would have meetings on long walks. And that's not hard work, hustle, graft, 10x, like a lot of the pervasive um, advices on social media is taking time, thinking, discussing, debating, hypothesizing, getting out there in nature, being inspired by all the things that are around you rather than just like, you know, a dog, um, you know, head down, ass up, digging, 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 digging. And, mm. you know, how I was raised and how many people are raised um, is you dig, 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 12 hours a day, seven days a week for 10 years, and then you might be an overnight success. But yeah. I'm not saying I haven't worked hard and I'm not saying I don't work hard, but I work hard in short, sharp bursts. And I take time to do many interviews like this, to talk to a lot of people, to have phone conversations, to have long walks, to be bored, to be inspired by art, by music, by culture, by shows on mm. Netflix, get, a, get a, a really holistic inspiration around me and not be in too much of a rush, which I am always in a fucking rush. Too many <laughs> parking fines. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's symptomatic of needing to be busy to feel fulfilled. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think we've got to do the opposite of that. I completely relate to that. I mean, I often find the moments I slow down and kind of pause as tricky as I find that because I'm like you in the way that I want to do so much at the same time and I'm busy all the time. But the moments I pause, that's when the most creativity happens, the best ideas come out. It's when you have more visionary mindset. Completely, completely relate to that. Really, really interesting. Um, so so listening to what you said about what you do now in your business and progressive property, it, it started off as a very kind of physical bricks and mortar kind of business, didn't it? You know, with rentals and buying properties. And, and I mean, at what point did you transition from that to doing kind of online businesses or, or making that the priority? Yeah. So I've, I've kind of gone from local to county to national to intercontinental and now to global. Mm. And part of my business model is scalable globally and parts are only scale locally. So the bricks and mortar element, the properties that we own and manage and rent out and develop and convert, that's a very local business. Uh, and I couldn't go and build um, a big building in Dubai. I couldn't because I haven't got the team there. I'm not there. It's eight hours away. It's five hours time difference. You know, I don't know the rules, the regulations, the laws, the planning. It's all completely different. And so people with property, they make the mistake of not being local. But that's not scalable globally. But what is, is information, training, education, mentoring. So I'm very local with bricks and mortar. But how we scaled nationally and globally was with our training companies. So Progressive Property, Progressive Success, my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, my books, you can see some of them behind me. Um, th this is what helped to scale globally, leveraging the internet, leveraging social media, leveraging online, leveraging information, which has no overhead 
um, very low fixed costs. You don't need premises. You don't need stock. You don't need necessarily staff for information. But right now, people are craving good information in a very distracted information overload society that we're in. So good quality information, people will pay a premium for that. So that's how I scaled globally. Really, really interesting. So, so I mean, th- this is all in the span of how many years from, from local to, to kind of global? How long did that, did that take? Well, I didn't even focus on global. I was so mm. focused on building a property portfolio with myself and my business partner. So from probably 2006, which is when we started buying properties, 20 in our first year, 30 in our second, 50 in our third, give or take for ourselves and others. For those first three years, we were just thinking locally. We probably went nationally within probably three to five years when we started running seminars in the UK. Uh, And of course, London is where everyone comes. We'd be doing seminars in London, but then we do Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, Glasgow, Edinburgh. So maybe within, let's say, five years, we were um, national. And then, of course, you can always scale more, can't you? Um, And then I would say what first got me global was the translation deals in Life Leverage. Um, And then the book, by the way, Life Leverage. Awesome audio book. Thank you. Very kind of you. Uh, (laughs) And then, yeah, and then my podcast, because that's now um, got listeners in 204 countries or jurisdictions, because apparently there's only 190 something countries, but there's definitely 204 (laughs) countries that have downloaded my podcast. Um, (laughs) So... And that, that probably started five years ago. So that would have been nine years in. Yeah. But, but I didn't really think about being global until probably seven or eight years in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting shift, isn't it? Because you, you've gone from physical to, 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 to global to online. And this is, this is what a lot of people are doing in a very, very kind of rapid way right now, aren't they? I mean, a lot of people are having to pivot online or they, or they certainly feel they are. And for me, it, it seems like, you know, the pandemic has brought things along in, in so many ways that were going to take five years and now they're taking a year or months. Right. And looking just just before we before we dive into kind of the strategy behind online global business, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how you guys have gone through the pandemic and what kind of pivots you've made or changes you've made and what, what kind of shifts you've seen. Yeah, so that's a similar story for us, actually, Sebastian. Um, to be quite honest with you, business in the UK was probably not bad enough for me to want to accelerate my global growth quicker. So for at least three years, I wouldn't say before the pandemic, but maybe a year before the pandemic, I was thinking, do you know what? I think it would be wise for us to have at least five or six other countries scale you know, lack of hitting a ceiling in our market and saturation and maturation, which we've hit a bit in the UK. You know, if the U- if UK economy suffers, maybe an economy on the other side of the world is doing good. You know, there is the, the, the cycles in the um, economy probably oscillate at different points in different countries. So if you're in multiple countries, you can leverage almost um, arbitrage that. Um, so there are many, and I want to have a global impact. You know, I, I don't just want to impact my community or my county. I want to impact the globe with my mission to help as many people on this business start on this planet starts to go stick it fuck fuck, fuck. <laughs> we can try again we can we can, ed- we can edit this out of the podcast no, don't edit it out. all right there's only, there's only four thousand people watching yeah to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education that's my personal 
um, vision and mission statement. So can you say it three times really fast? Which I just fucked up. To help as many people on this planet start to scale their business and get a better financial education. To help as many people on this planet start to scale their business and get a better financial education. To help as many people on this planet start to scale their business and get a better financial education. There you go. He's nailed it, guys. <laughs> He's nailed it. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, surreal moment there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, um, I probably was too comfortable in the UK and the business was doing well enough for me to not have to push hard. So each year we would grow the UK. We'd have some years and then some sort of fairly static years, but we'd still make enough money. And, you know, I didn't want to fly around the world because I've got young kids setting up a, an op operation overseas. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so each year it would be in the goals, but I just not be motivated enough to really push it. And then lockdown happened and then bang, I went from spending six to nine months usually to create a new product or a course or mastermind program. We were doing one a week. We, we create 12 new ones, good ones in 12 weeks, which are immediately globally scalable, downloadable and saleable. Um, so, yeah, much like you said, a lot of people have been forced to pivot themselves and to implement um, global growth much more quickly and, you know, be, become an online business fast. We went through that transition and actually it was one of the best things that ever happened to our company for scalability, yeah. for um, de-risking. So, yeah, we went through that journey and um, we're probably three times as profitable on the same turnover now. So it's been good for us. Do you know what that's, I mean, we, we've had about 60 to 70 interviews here and a lot of them have been, in, you know, interviewing people who have had inspiring pivots and there's one theme that's, well, there's a few different themes that have kind of been consistent throughout. And, and one of them is that so many people have seen their businesses develop and mature and become more profitable and lower overheads. And, 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 and it's down to this shift. It's actually down to the pandemic, not in spite of it. Do you know what I mean? So, so a lot of people are kind of reaping the rewards from that by having the courage to, to kind of pivot and take their, take their business into a new market, take their business online. And, and to really push that. So, so yeah, I've, I've definitely seen the kind of consistency uh, with that. When you, um, when you look at bringing a, a business from physical to online, and if you consider a lot of people may have traditional businesses, right? So shopkeepers, um, landlords, uh, you name it, right? Traditional um, bricks and mortar in your face businesses on the high street. What advice do you give people like that who are in that situation to becoming a, an online business and pivoting online? I think there's probably two main models. Uh, and number one would be um, selling your products online. So essentially setting up an online store, Shopify, Amazon, you know, uh, becoming e-commerce. Um, and then the second model would be selling your information. So what you've learned and what you know and what you've done and the experience you have, you convert that into books, podcasts, online courses, masterminds, mentorships, Etc. They'd be the two main fast ways that you can pivot a, a, a local or bricks and mortar business into a globally scalable one. Okay, brilliant. And, and I guess a huge part of it is having the confidence to do it, right? I mean, what what do you what do you say to to a business that's kind of worried or scared about taking that risk and and you know pushing forward to do it? Mm. Uh, well, number one, what are you scared of? Because um, I'd be quite scared of a twenty-five foot alligator. But what, writing down some information about what I know, what you're scared of? What are you worried <laughs> about? In a minute. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's a good point. I mean, the, the, the point being, you know, 
where's where's that fear actually coming from? What what imagination of things going wrong do you have, right? Yeah, well, look, I know quite a few because, you know, I've, I've helped hundreds of thousands of people across the globe start and scale their business. Um, so I'll come to some of those in a moment because actually each one's a bit different. Mm. Um, what I would say, though, is, you know, do you want to get left behind? Um, do you want your competitors to overtake you? Probably not. Um, you know, do you want to risk not being able to pay all your overheads and your, um, you know, quite high fixed costs? Do you want to get left behind as a business model in this sort of exponentially growing world of internet and, and technology? My guess is no to those things. But also remember this, every winner was once a beginner and every mm. master was once a disaster. So um, I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. Yeah. And that's what you should do. You start with where you're at. Let's say um, you're only a blue belt and you're not a black belt. Mm. So be the martial arts teacher that gets people um, at the beginner stage and gets them started. If Let's say you've only got 10 bytelets and not 100. Well, you know, be, be the um, training provider that gets people their first bytelet or their first five bytelets. As long as you're ahead of someone in the game, Mm. Um, you can always create a, um, a training, a consultancy, an information business, as long as the value's there and, you know, you can give people the outcome and the result. Um, but, yeah, in my book, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, and in my um, other book, I'm Worth More, I explore a lot the reasons why people don't put themselves out there more. They don't do lives on social media. You know, they don't put content out there. Um, you know, they they don't face the... the um, the looming necessary changes to um, redirect their business is often through fear of failure. Well, I can tell you that um, every successful person is a failure uh, many times over. Um, no one is successful without failure. Every successful person you'll ever hear talk has had um, been riddled with failure. Stephen King um, got his books rejected so many times. I think it was, um, was it it? But it was one of his very famous books, probably sold tens of millions of copies now. He actually threw the manuscript in the bin after like a, a one final rejection after loads of rejections. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how many um, shots do all attacking sports people need to take to score goals? Well, they miss way more than they score. Um, so I, I, this surprised someone, a friend of mine struggling with something at the moment that she's, she's dealing with. Um, and, and I've been helping her, and I think she perceives that I've got my shit together. And I, and I said to her, I have to experience failure and shame every day. And if I don't experience failure and shame every day, I'm not pushing enough. So um, just today, two people who I know very well who I thought would um, speak at my Young Entrepreneur Summit, they're very big names, very big celebrities. I know them well, and I thought that they would, um, you know, come and do a slot for me considering it's for charity. They said no. My um, Normally my podcast is in the top three, five at worst ranked in the business section. I looked this morning. <laughs> um, I kept scrolling, <laughs> couldn't find it. Um, my downloads are down, way down um, than where they normally are. But three weeks ago they were like really high. Um, you have to face rejection every single day. If you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you cannot separate them. They are intrinsically linked together. Mm. 
I, I, um, I guess it's it's hugely a part of just having a healthy relationship with risk, a healthy relationship with failure, and what failure really is. You know, it's being a being a feedback mechanism rather than a a judge of your character or a judge of who you are as a person. Right? It's it's purely a you know the the, the road to to discovering what it is you need to do. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, is let's take my book there, money. If that book sells one copy or a million copies, does a million sales of that book make it better? Well, the actual binary answer is no, because it's the same mm. book. Now, of course, if the market likes it, that's obviously a barometer. But the point is, once that book's written, whether it sells one or a million and one doesn't make the book any better. Whether my podcast getting millions of downloads or tens of thousands of downloads, that isn't an indication of the the quality of the podcast in and of itself it's is is it good quality so we have to be careful not to take personally mm. our failures and actually we have to understand that we failed this time not we are a failure and that's a very different thing also failure by what metric because my worst download day 99.9% of podcasters, it, that's better than their best download day. But compare me to Joe Rogan and his worst download day would be better than my best download day. But he's yeah. you know, probably in the top five podcasters in the world. So failure is comparison. Uh, and so be careful. What is it they say that comparison is the thief of joy? Mm. So just know that you've got a good mission. Know that you're doing good work. Know that you're equally helping people as well as helping yourself. Um, and, you know, there's nothing to fear. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, I think that's so important, that kind of mindset shift. And I'd, I'd love to kind of get into the strategy behind, you know, launching an online digital business. Obviously, a big part of this is doing it with little to no overheads, right? And I know we've spoken about how, it's very easy to keep costs low when you when you run an online business as opposed to doing it physically. For instance, your events you used to run in, or you probably still do, but a lot of it would have been in person in one location, which obviously needed paying for. Now you can host it online. There's you know there's lower overheads with that associated, right? But what is it that you can do to ensure that the strategy there is is keeping the the overheads low? And you know how important is community and developing a community to kind of help you with that? Okay, so a way to keep a business overhead low is to leverage all the free media and social media that's out there first before you start spending heavy on ads. LinkedIn, Facebook groups, your Facebook page, um, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, have a podcast, have a YouTube channel, interview big name guests, be on other podcasts as a um, interviewee, a guest, etc., because none of these cost any hard ad spend. So that's mm. one way. The, the second way is to have a product or service that doesn't have overhead. So if you buy stock, you've got overhead. You know, you've got um, money stuck in stock. If you've got physical premises or um, high fixed costs, you know, staff, um, debt, then obviously um, that's a stress on your profit and loss. Whereas if you have an information-based business, consultancy, you're a coach, a trainer, a mentor, you run online courses, digital delivery, 
you know, you use Zoom, Kajabi, GoToWebinar, et cetera. That's another way where you keep the overheads really low. The third way is to do collaborations. So instead of spending on advertising in whatever format, you could collaborate. So um, I could promote um, the square peg round holes show on the disruptive entrepreneur and vice versa. You could promote the disruptive entrepreneur on square peg round holes. And if that went well, we could do that on our respective YouTube channels. And if that went well, we could do it on our respective Facebook groups and we could help each other to grow each other together. And instead of paying each other money, we do a collaboration or a joint venture. So there are three immediate mm. ways that you, you don't need any money for that. There's a time cost. There's always a cost. It's a cost mm. to everything. Um, but once you're sweating all of those, then you might consider um, running a physical event. You know, we hire a, a venue, et cetera, after the lockdown or putting some money into Facebook or YouTube ads. And I always recommend starting small and doing ongoing tests. Every post, every interview, everything I write, every video I do, I see as a test. Um, and if it, it gets good response, I might continue down that road. If it doesn't get a good response, I might tweak it or bin it completely in try again. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, I love uh, the collaborations aspect. I think, um, I think a lot of people have realized they don't need to be able to do everything you know, in their business. And a lot of the things I, I often say is, you know, if you look at the pandemic, everyone was there with the perfect hand. They had their five cards, which they had been holding for a long time. And then suddenly there was so much disruption that the cards got knocked out of their hand. A lot of people are looking at the table, trying to pick up the exact same cards. But the people I've seen who are collaborating the best are, you know, they're, they're looking at other people and seeing what other cards they've got and putting them together to create an awesome hand. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's finding someone with a great product or finding someone with great distribution or finding someone who's got a great brand and then just sticking it all together to create a good solution, you know. And have you guys created any collaborations or partnerships during the last kind of six months where you've seen that in action? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer in partnerships and collaborations. And um, were it not for that, I'd have to do all the delivery of the events we run. So before the lockdown, we did 850 training days, you know, delivering, facilitating courses in the um, in the previous tax year, Jan, our tax year is Jan to December. So that's two and a half training days a, uh, a day. Um, I couldn't do all that. I, I, I couldn't even do one a day because, you know, that's um, I don't believe in this hashtag no days off bollocks. Um, so. Uh, the only way for me to grow is to have partnerships where you could run an event with me. We part, I um, fill the rooms online or face-to-face -face for you, and then you deliver your content. And, and if I've got 10 of you, then that's 10 days of training a day that I could facilitate in partnerships without me having to deliver it. And I love speaking and training. Uh, and I've had years where I've done 250 speaking days. Now, some people do, 500 speaking gigs a year but their talks 30 to 60 minutes whereas when i did 250 training days i was doing eight to ten hours a day and i i enjoyed it but i really did burn myself out i was actually really fatigued by the end of that year um so i realized it wasn't scalable even though i loved it so i was in this quandary i'm loving what i do and i'm doing what i love and that's surely you know a great gift of life and not many people can say that but i'm also my own bottleneck and i'm restricting my own growth 
So um, just recently I've partnered up. Well, I mean, I've known him for 15 years, but Jonathan Jay and I have partnered together. He buys businesses often with, with none of his own money. Um, Rich Hawkins, who is big on e-commerce, on Shopify and Amazon, we partner with him. I partner with Kevin McDonald in property. I could list two dozen partnerships I have right now. Um, and that, that also enables you to, to, to scale because you don't become the bottleneck anymore. You know, mm. imagine I spent 250 days and then I get really ill because I burn myself out and I need two months off. Well, for two months, we can do no business. But yeah. imagine yeah. if I have 10, 10 partners and even half of them, you know, half of them get COVID and have to isolate for two weeks. You know, then you still got five training days a day that you can do. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's it's one of those things as well. It's it's more fun. I find the the partnerships I've created just made business more fun. You know, if you try and do everything yourself and try and be alone and you know own everything and be the lone kind of wolf with the whole thing, it's not as fun. And you know, you, you, you can get from A to B much faster by having the team in place, by having the partnerships in place and you, you scale up quicker as well, you know? Yeah, I, I think the saying is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And mm. fast and far are really different. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs hustling like mad, working fast on their own, doing everything because, you know, social media tells them to hustle and grind and 10x mm. and whatever else. Um, but actually look in reality you probably have 30 good hours worth of work a week in reality maybe even only 20 you know when you when you consider the setting up the task jumping you know the actual effects effective working time um, before you start to diminish your results or fatigue and even let's say you could do 50 really deep hours worth of work a week um, but if you have 10 staff and they did five hours each, then that's 50 hours a day with 10 mm. start. So, um, yeah, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to mm. go far, go together. And uh, we are in the world of collaboration. Someone put it in the comments. I saw it pop through. Yeah, um, I see. You know, so many collaborations on Instagram, isn't there? Um, and you, you you can do a collaboration on a podcast, a collaboration episode where it's published on yeah. both podcasts. You could do a collaboration on YouTube. We are in the world of collaborations. You share each other's audiences. And, um, yeah, I think it's a great way to grow, and it's a great way to grow on a low budget. Yeah, 100%. Um, guys, if you've got any questions at all, feel free to, to fire them away, and we'll, uh, we'll bring them up. We've got one here from Sharon. I'm um, just re re um, replying to your um your chat about the, the training days. How much prep did you do for the day's training? Because you, you said it was 250 training days a, a, um, a year? Yeah, so it depends. In the early days, um, I was going on public speaking courses, reading public speaking books, I had a public speaking mentor. I would practice my talk over and over and over. I would drill it five, ten times before I did it. Uh, mm. And that got me to a certain level of proficiency. But then once it became more second nature and I um, could access a higher level of mastery through intuition and um, just having the information come through me, then I would stop uh, and I would actually just um, like, for example, with this podcast and all the other podcasts, I intentionally don't want to see the questions because mm -hmm. I want each um, interview to be different so that it's mm -hmm. unique. I mean, I know one person who's done the same speech probably, I don't know, probably 5,000 times. Um, wow. And something you get with me is every single interview and every single speech is different. So I'm bringing 
it through the intuition of having done it. I've done thousands of speeches over the last, mm. what, 15 years. So, you know, things change and the way you pre- prepare changes. Now, I might do some demographics or audience research. Um, but, yeah, I like to be in flow and to be natural and spontaneous. Yeah, brilliant. Um, in, in terms of this question here, do you think someone can rely pri- pri- primarily on the free social media and still reach a large audience? Yes. Yeah, I do. I really do. Um, Look, it's nice if you can put money into advertising. We probably spend a quarter of a million pounds a month on advertising. I was reading my marketing reports this morning, and actually we spend 1,700 quid this week on three podcast ads, not as in, you know, it's seen three times, but three ad campaigns on our podcast. And we spent three grand um, this week on um one book campaign and, and and really didn't really get that good a return um mm. so look we can spend sometimes a few thousand quid and get a massive return but um i think people think the panacea is being able to grow your audience through ad spend um but you can just as easily waste your ad spend and burn it through diminishing law of returns and when your staff are spending money that isn't theirs they don't quite you know, care for that money as much as you would. So, um, uh, you know, there's an age old joke in marketing, 50% of your marketing budget gets a return. You just don't know which 50%. So I, I see money being burned all over the place. In fact, I'd accept that 20% of our 2025, sorry, 200, 20% of our 250 grand a month ad spend. So 50 grand a month, I'd expect that just to get burned and, you know, wasted as, test campaigns but of course that leads to success um so don't be in a rush to go and spend a load of money on ads until you've exhausted all low cost and free media but once you've done that then you should start scaling up on your ads but you can you know for example let's say you're in property you could join my progressive property community with 33 and a half thousand members you've got 33 and a half thousand captive people there now you can't go in and spam the group but you can build a brand and a reputation and people will come to you um, so you can use Facebook groups. LinkedIn doesn't rest- restrict your reach as long as um, the algorithm likes your content. And you could ha- I-, I know someone who had uh, two or three thousand followers and he got eight million views on one post. You'd never get that on any other social media channel that would restrict your reach. Podcasting mm. doesn't cost you anything other than, you know, the um, the small amount of setup cost and then a little bit of hosting. But of course, you can um, you know reach a global audience there. So yeah, absolutely, you can primarily re- rely on free and um, free social media. Absolutely, if you haven't got any money, what other choice do you have other than partnering someone with a load of money? So yeah, yeah um, it, it, you know, when I started business, what 14, 15 years ago, yeah, you, you had to go around the country networking, collecting business cards, putting them into into um, you know a, a CRM system. Um, and you have to be spending a load of money on Google ads if you wanted to build any kind of reach. Now you can just do it on free social media groups. Yeah, it's a, I, I know that world's different now. I, I don't think it's better. I think it's different. But social mm. media is like a whole new opportunity for marketing for sure. I mean, I mean, it, a big part of this conversation is the strategy behind building a business, right? And keeping overheads low, keeping costs low. And it's, it's completely easy to have an online business with super high overheads and super high costs if you're going straight into the advertising route. But I guess a big part of that strategy is really maximizing, you know, organic and, and free channels. Yeah. I mean, if you can increase your organic reach, mm. if you can increase the amount of shares you've got, 
if you can join the relevant niche groups with thousands of members in yeah if, if I, I often go on social media and i'll make a comment on someone else's social media platform mm. dan bilzerian gary vaynerchuk grant cardone deepak chopra dave ramsey you know you know big people who, gary v you know, i see i see you giving gary v a bit of a hard time these days yeah i don't think it's a hard time i think i've misunderstood <laughs> I think um, I'm certainly not a troll. If you see some of the comments on my social media, you'll know what a troll is. Um, let me just, let me share, let me sh share you something. Someone private messaged me um, oh, no. this week. There we go. One second. Let me find it. Um, we should do an episode on dealing dealing with trolls and dealing with haters, really, because it's as people go online, they're going to see more and more of that. Do you know what I mean? Especially if you're running a, I, an online global business. Yeah, I've done a lot of that content. If people listen to my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, I've done at least five episodes on that. Really? That's actually a big thing that stops people. Mm, uh, it's part of that fear, isn't it? It's part of that fear yeah. of stepping out and being seen. Where is it? Oh, I must don't say I've deleted it. Uh, it was just, uh, I just thought it was, um, it was quite sweet. Let me recently deleted. Let me find it. Don't know why I deleted it. One second. So this is someone who who just who just kind of trolled you online, is it? Um. Yeah. Hmm. One second. I'd be a bit of a letdown now, won't it? Now that I am, um, <laughs> can never find anything when you need it. You can always find it. It, it doesn't matter, but yeah, every day. When you, when you really, when you really want a troll and they don't show up, right? Yeah. <laughs> when you, and when you don't want them, they're always there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no. So as we were saying, um, I. I what's, what's your on, process I, for dealing for dealing with it? You know, for dealing for dealing with trolls. Just to just to wind that up. What's what was your what's your process for dealing with it, and and how do you approach it from a psychological angle? Because it puts a lot of people off. Um, I've, I think you can ignore it. I think that's probably the best way to deal with it because mm. if something isn't in your awareness, it can't bother you, can it? Um, mm. so it's the cost of being successful. It's the cost of putting yourself out there. That Remember, nothing comes without a cost. Everything comes with a cost. So um, if the cost is up front, the reward is at the end. If the reward is at the front, the cost is usually at the end. So um, I know as long as I'm doing good work you've got to check that um and i know i'm helping people and i'm coming from the right space i i know that i accept along the way all the critics the trolls and the haters that i get um you can have a bit of fun and banter with them you can block them you can ask them to expand and, and clarify what they mean and use it to hack the algorithms and get more reach there's so many different ways of dealing with mm. them Mm. Um, you can actually care for them and check to see if they're all right, because actually a lot of people who, um, you know, blur out vitriol towards you or hurt themselves and they're going through some pain or, and you accidentally triggered them. So there's many things, many ways to deal with them. Um, but back to your initial point, because I don't like to leave questions unanswered. You mm. said about I'm um, giving Gary V a hard time and I mentioned five or six people. Sag Guru is another one. So when I follow people on social media, I try and comment on their work. So, mm. you know, I know some people just are a voyeur, but I like to get involved. Um, and sometimes I will show appreciation, but often I'll create discussion. So people misunderstand my disagreement with someone 
as um, criticism or trolling when in fact it's just creating a discussion mm. but actually I have gained tens of thousands of new subscribers by creating discussion on Interesting. You know, other influencers um, comments and um, posts so you know if you if your if your debates and your arguments and your information on social media is really good you will yeah. gain big following over time yeah, it's, it's an interesting strategy. I've not, I've not heard of that one, you know, commenting on other people's stuff to, you know, to, to create engagement and to, to create discussion and maybe bringing, bringing over some alternative points of view. It's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Well, look, it, I mean, the getting new followers is a, a, um, an upside consequence. I don't do it just for that. Mm. But if someone, I'll give you an example, um, someone put on their social media, hashtag no days off. And I just said, I'm not sure that's a good hashtag because um, I think everyone needs some days off. And I bet you've had at least one day off. And there's a lot of um, prevailing sentiment around hustle and grind and 10x mm. and having no days off. And that's how you're a successful entrepreneur. But what about the mental health connotations? What about the yeah. burnout? You know, what about the uh, lack of patience? What about the you know the um you don't handle yourself well because you're emotionally and physically drained and what about the consequences of no days off what about the lack of ideation and creativity because you're not having any days off so that would be how i would engage with something where i think that there's an, an alternative point of view if yeah, people misconstrue yeah. that as trolling that's on them not on me but i 100%. actually think that telling people to have no days off ever is bad advice and, and i yeah. it's my duty to call that out <laughs> yeah absolutely um so so you know calling things out you know I, what what would you say are the the top three mistakes that people make when they transition from physical to online business because a lot of people watching this right now will be physical businesses they're about to take their businesses online a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast will would love to do it but what are the mistakes they should look out for i know we touched on ad spend and maximizing organic um, organic um, channels um but what are the mistakes can, can people look out for? Okay, I think one of them is not embracing it quick enough and waiting too long and mm. holding on to the idea that your existing business model is okay and it will be okay. Yeah. Um, some people believe in a decade or two, retail will be completely dead. Um, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that, but if there's a risk of that, then you need to be online. So it's, it's making that transition more quickly, number one. Number two is, is putting yourself out there more. Um, I, I don't think enough people put themselves out there enough. And I think that, you know, you should have the start now, get perfect later approach to putting yourself out there um, and try and put more content out there, get involved in more discussions and debates, do more video content, do more live videos, do more Ask Me Anythings. And the great gift about putting yourself out there more is not just the increase in volume. It's not just the increase in confidence. It's the iterative improvement. You know, you, you, I, I fly a helicopter and they're really hard to fly. And you, you cannot improve flying a helicopter without getting in the helicopter and flying it. So you cannot improve your marketing, your message, your reach, your story until you embrace putting all of your content out there. You can't create perfect content. You have to go through loads of iterations. Um, I, I loved Ed Sheeran's um, documentary. Um, I watched it on Apple TV and he said, look, if you want to write good songs, you've got to write a lot of shit songs first. 
And that was what one of his um, teachers taught him. And I just think that's brilliant. If you've got, to, if you want to write good content, you've got to write a lot of shit content. If you want to write a great yeah. book, you've got to write a shit book. It's just that if you want to do great podcasts and great interviews, you've got to do a few shit ones. It's just the process of getting better. So um, I would yeah. say that would, would be the second mistake. Um, I mean, I mean that's that second mistake. Really, it's it's all about being prolific, right? So many people just 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 focus. They're such perfectionists that they 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 kind of create extra extra stumbling blocks themselves to try and get over. Whereas the you know person B who's being prolific has produced six or seven different courses, two of which have have really hit the ground running. The other five have failed, and person person A is still trying to perfect that one course without testing the market first to see if it's really something people want. Yeah, uh, there's the saying, isn't there? Prolific is better than perfect. I agree with that. Mm. There's probably a balance, and um, because yeah. sometimes I think I did that too fast. I could have done a bit mm. more research. Um, so you know, and some things you do need to check. Like Grant Cardone is a friend of mine. He said I I never bother spell checking all my posts. I just stick them out there. People will tell me, you know, speed, speed, speed. And I get that, but sometimes it is wise just to spell check something a second time or just check it, but just don't overdo it. Um, but you learn on the go more than before the go. Uh, and, um, you know, you have to do a load of social media posts before you work out what gets engagement. You have to write a few books before you find your voice. You have to do quite a few Facebook lives before you get the lighting right and the ambient. Yeah, that's a, a great example. Just start with a Facebook live on your phone. OK, the lives a bit. The lights a bit shit. The audio's a bit shit, but it's but it will teach you and lead you. And then you'll test a, a light and you'll test a podcast mic and you know, even in here, this is a new studio at home that, that I've built. Um, and I still haven't got my um, proper podcast mic set up. And the lighting is better because I've got a light behind me, but it's not great. It's not perfect mm. by any means. I've actually just had the room soundproofed. So the audio is probably a bit better than it, was, than it was last week when it was echoey. But the point is, I can make this room better every week. I can make the tech and the equipment better every week by, by doing it on the go as you go. Mm. Um, you asked me for three. Again, I don't like to leave any questions unanswered. It's very difficult to say three. But I would say business model is really important. You know, a lot of people talk about mindset and stuff like that. Um, but I think you've got to have the right business model. Uh, you know, is it scalable and um, leverageable online? Um, is it a, a business model that you really like? Like a lot of people say, oh, Rob, what's the quickest way to make, you know, a 100% return in a year or, you know, a million quid or 100 grand? And actually, the answer is, well, there's a load of ways to do that. And there's a load of ways you to, to fail at that. So pick something you really enjoy. If you're going to create an information business, do it on something you're passionate about. You know, some people say to me things like, oh, well, Rob, you know, I haven't been doing my martial arts for 20 years or I haven't been playing chess for 15 decades. Why are people going to listen to me? Well, if you love what you do, you've got a great podcast because people love your passion, your energy, your enthusiasm. And also, if you have the humility to know that you're not the best in the world, but you want to improve, 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 people also love that. So it's the iterative impact of passion. And then the final thing I'll say, I'd like to give four answers to a question where you asked me three, and that is marketing. Too many people focus on the quality of the product, getting things perfect, you know, having all their ducks in a row. Um, the single most important function of any business is marketing. If you have a shop, sales, which a lot of people say is important in business, which of course it is, is selling to people in the shop. But marketing is getting people in the shop in the first place. You have got to be as good at marketing as you are at product.
That's really interesting, isn't it? I, I find that a lot of business owners who are really successful, they, they tend to measure things that a lot of other business owners don't measure. When you, when you look at your businesses, um, Progressive Property being one, do you, do you guys measure the, the way in which, you know, a, a metric or something that determines success differently to other people? Well, is there's, there's quite some element of that. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of penis measuring going on in business. But I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> Progressive property or? No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I believe you cannot master what you do not measure. So whether that's the macros of your diet so that you know that you're in a calorie deficit or surplus and you're getting the right macros in, or whether that's the return on ad spend, the cost per click, the cost per conversion, the cost per lead, the cost per sale, the lifetime client value. You cannot master what you do not measure. So, yeah, I'm trying to ma measure as many metrics in my organization as possible without getting into diminishing law of returns of anality where you're getting too macro, sorry, too micro. So, yeah, I'm trying to measure everything all the way down the line. Um, average spend per customer, lifetime client value per customer, maximum acquisition cost of lead, maximum acquisition cost of lead per channel, um, return on ad spend as a percentage, return on um, customer spend as a percentage, um, number of um, number of purchases per average client. Um, you know, average number of years a client is a client, average number of referrals each client gives per head revenue on online and um, physical uh, events. Yeah, just you cannot master what you do not measure. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant advice. And um, looking, looking forward, Rob, to the next kind of five years, progressive property, Rob Moore, what's, what's the plan? What's the vision that you guys have? Well, I've taken a different direction to my companies. So I have to give you two answers to this, Sebastian. Sure. So with my companies, we're going to continue our global growth. We're running um, online and face-to-face -face seminars um, in hopefully five continents over the next 24 months, assuming no more lockdown repercussions. Uh, and then the same with my other training business, Progressive Success, which is business and public speaking and personal development. Um, in terms of our brands, so we, we have many, many brands, the Disruptive Entrepreneur, my brand, Progressive Success, Progressive Property. We want to continue to grow, grow them globally. Um, I, I'm a bit of a, a sucker for starting new businesses. So actually, I've got enough business models and I hopefully will not start too many new ones in the next five years because you can do too much and you can spread yourself too thin. On a personal level, I've sort of semi-retired from my training companies. I've retired operationally. I'm still involved strategically. I still help with creativity and ideations. And I still do my own social media, which really is a um, just a, a passion. I, I just enjoy doing this kind of stuff. But um, I'm spending more time with my family. I'm working more on my personal brand and trying to fulfill my personal mission, which is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get a buy, better financial education. And um, I'm running the Young Entrepreneur Summit in, on February the 6th in collaboration with the Prince's Trust. They just made me a board member. So I'm trying to do more philanthropic work and more work for my foundation as well. But really, it's more of the same. Sometimes people mm. assume you've got to do something new. Sometimes you're best just doing the same thing, 20% better or 20% more. It's like, it's like you said earlier in the talk, isn't it? If, you, if, you're, if you're doing what you love, then that's a pretty amazing gift, isn't it? So if you're loving what you're doing, why would you make a, make a massive change over the next five years, right? Indeed. Um, 
Rob, cheers so much for coming on, mate. Really, really interesting conversation. Uh, guys, if you just joined us, go back to the beginning, uh, listen to this. It's going to be posted on all the groups and stuff um, and find out more information about how to build an online business with little to no overheads. Uh, Rob, what's the, what's the best place for everyone to, uh, to get in touch with you? So my podcast is The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Um, if you search my name, Rob Moore, on any social or um, search engine, you'll find my books. So maybe money might be where you start. Um, yeah, and all the stuff I do, robmoore.com for a bit more about me and my foundation. Amazing. And in terms of collaborations, this is obviously being streamed to the F10X Academy group. Um, Rob, where is the best place for these guys to, to, is there a group they can join or they can they can kind of engage with you more online? Yeah. So I have a Facebook group called the Disruptive Entrepreneur Community, which is where my podcast listeners all frequent. There's about 19,400 of us in there. Uh, but you can follow me on Facebook, on my page or any on any social channel. Just search my name, Rob Moore or Rob Moore Progressive. Amazing stuff. Cool, mate. Thank you so much for coming on and I will speak to you soon. Take care. Cheers. Thanks, everyone.